It is an honor to be here. I've been looking forward to this for some time. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite your attention to Matthew 27, and I'm going to go ahead and have reverence for the Word of God. Let us stand. Amen. So, <laughs> for those of you that weren't here earlier, I had a little thing going there, but we need to reverence the Word of God however we get it. All right. Matthew 27 is where we're at today, and for those of you that asked, uh, I think I've changed three different times. And actually, the Lord spoke strongly to my heart when I was saying, when I'm in a place where I haven't preached very often, there are two subjects that I frequent most often when I've never, when I haven't preached there very often, I preached there one, preached there one other time. It was a stewardship situation, so I was able to know where I was going. And then knowing the theme of the conference for this afternoon, I knew where I was going, but tonight I was freelancing it, but I've been uh, having a, a difficult time knowing exactly where to preach. And this morning when I was saying, well, there's usually two areas that I go to, and I didn't want to say the second one because I knew if I would, I'd have to preach it, and I went ahead and it slipped out, and I'm there tonight, and uh, I don't know, uh, Jeff, if I preached at your church or not. I'm, I'm not even for sure. I don't even, you know what? I, yeah, I was going to say, I don't even know where I am at times, right? <laughs> That is the truth. Uh, you know, you, you stayed enough Hampton Inns and Holiday Inns, and they all, after a while, are the same. I woke up this uh, morning in Tennessee. No, that was last night. I can't remember. Uh, and I, I thought I was at home. And, uh, I, and <laughs> it's really funny because in my room there's a Siri thing. I can say, Siri, what time is it? Siri, what time are the air conditioners? So I'm fixing to talk to no one in the middle of a hotel. I'm talking... <laughs> Um, no one, uh, not my wife, no one is there. But I was preaching once in Wyoming, and I'd just flown in, and I recently preached in Colorado. And so I was thanking the Lord for the beautiful mountains where I was at, and I was saying, Lord, it is honestly one of the most beautiful states I've ever been in. I just am so thankful to be here in Colorado. And I stood up, and as soon as they did, the uh, congregation you said, Wyoming! And I said, well, yippee-ti-i-o, you know? <laughs> so... Um, but honestly, it is, it is so good to be here in Minnesota. And uh, so if you... Go Packers! Are we okay? Are we okay now? Yeah. Well, you didn't expect me to say go Texans, did you? I mean, you know. You know, it's the funniest thing. We, we've been so happy to, after all these years in Houston, to have a winning baseball team. And, um, and they won the last World Series without any garbage cans. And... Um, my mother-in-law just went to heaven, and she was, uh, I mean, and I guess she still is in heaven, a diehards Cubbies fan. I mean, big time. And uh, that's a long story. She said, if the Cubbies win, then I'm going to wear a Cubs hat to church. And, uh, and we got her a monogram with her Betty, on the, and she wore a Cubs hat to church that morning. And uh, she's such a proper lady, you know. And uh, so, um, anyway... So she just passed away seven weeks ago. Here's our last conversation. Mom, I love you and I'm praying for you. Thank you, Johnny. And uh, I was walking away and I turned around. We had this little rivalry going. I said, go Astros. She's about to pass away and she said, they're cheaters. <laughs> I said, Mom, they didn't cheat on the last World Series. How do you know? <laughs> my last conversation with my mother love for she Matthew 27. I know I'm in Packer country. Amen. And I want to be really, really nice to the Packers. Yeah. All right. 
and to Falls Baptist Church especially, I want to just say I thoroughly enjoyed, um, <laughs> I almost called him Brother Farsi, but not Brother Farsi, Brother Gerb, Garb, Germi, Ger, okay, I thought I'd, anyway, I sounded like an Italian, didn't I? Hey, me. okay. Um, so that was a, I mean, 588 professions of faith, you, you, know, you know the critics. Well, I wonder how many minutes. Hey, if two minutes, it was great, wasn't it? Man, that was fantastic. But I'm sure that all of them, the way you dealt with them, I, how they missed Jesus. That was wonderful. And the music tonight, oh, Nulai Secundus. Nulai, you know, it's that second to none. I, I'm still Baptist, okay? And, uh, but that one, some of you missed that, okay? But that music... <laughs> Was great. What did you, I just love the little kids and all that y'all did with that? And you little, you're all little to me, but you know, pointing, you know, that was just so great. And uh, Daniel, thank you for that song that you and uh, brother, um, what's his name? Um, yes, he was just up here taking the offering, wasn't he? Okay. Well, anyway, he was. Uh, <laughs> as I was saying, it's great to be in Minnesota, but. Uh, uh, so anyway, John, everybody, I love you all. What I'm just saying is say, I loved being here. Now, I also want to say I just am thrilled, Brother Jim, about this renew. Man, alive, if that's an introduction, I can't wait for us to get in on the finished product. This is so exciting. Matter of fact, this is one of the most exciting things I've seen in fundamentalism in a long time. <laughs> I want more excitement in fundamentalism, and that was great. That was wonderful, so I'm, I'm really excited about that. And if ever we need it, we need it now. <clears throat> We're at an epidemic situation at this point. I think about the temptations we had when we were younger, uh, you know, Brother Wayne, and our uh, Dr. Fowler, you know, you know who you are, and uh, I, I don't know if we're first name basis or not, but anyway, anyway, Wayney. Uh, so anyway, no. okay, calm down, that's enough, all right. Um, there were temptations out there. There were temptations out there, but not like today. I, I, I can only imagine how could I stand some of this temptation. The only answer is this relationship with Jesus Christ and total commitment to him. There's no room. Some of you have heard me this preach this, but it's so true. This is no time to go wobbly. Brother and sisters, there's a lot of wobbling going on today. So if ever we need to stand. So I'm excited about everything that's happening here. The college, I'm so excited about. By, by the way, the food was fantastic. Usually when you have a mass production of food like that, uh, there's a lot sacrificed. Nothing was sacrificed. The meat was good. The potatoes, you could tell there were potatoes. It was amazing. And the dessert. I don't know if anybody was watching me. I, I ate my dessert and, and, and Brother Farsi was preaching and, uh, and uh, Gerber... Get a bit. Okay. And anyway, and uh, I just went over here and there was a chocolate. I had vanilla and I said, you know, I wonder what that tastes like. And I just kind of, uh, I ate two desserts. Did you notice? Did you notice? I, two desserts. <laughs> I was looking for the third one. But anyway, Matthew 27. All right, here we go. But I've had a great time to say the least. I've had a great time. Matthew 27, 33. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull. They gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments 
casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there. Let's remain standing for a word of prayer, and then when we're through praying, please be seated. Lord God and Heavenly Father, as we come to you, we ask you to just really take this service. I'm a little bit nervous about this, Lord, because of the subject with which I'm dealing. I don't want to mess up this great story we find in the Bible. Because it's so much more than a story. Our whole redemption is based on this. Our salvation by grace through faith, which is not of ourselves, is based on this. Our future in heaven is based on this. Our victorious Christian life that we are supposed to be living is based on this. Oh God, don't let me, don't let me mess this up. Have mercy upon this preacher and help me to preach with unction. And then I ask you to just bless the people that were contributing to this conference from making the food palatable and then for the music that we heard and the sermons that have already gone before me. I've heard so many good reports about the messages that have spoken to people's hearts. And Lord, I'm, I'm just excited about the launch of this wonderful campaign to save the purity among the people of God. Oh, the power of God that will come Amen. when we are pure before Thee. Amen. Oh, Lord, help us to never underestimate what has been presented to us tonight in that matter. God bless Dr. Wayne Van Gilderen, his dear brother Jim, and these precious children that are on staff with Dad. Thank you for the college students. So sorry to hear about the crisis they've gone through with some of their finest people in injury and death, but yet they're going on. They're contributing to heaven as well as on earth, the kingdom of God. And I just pray your blessings upon this place. Oh God, I don't know anywhere in America right now where we can see and sense a greater move of God. I would like to think there may be equals, but none superior to what you're doing here. Oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. I pray that you will help me tonight. Bless your people. Save anybody that's lost and revive us all that thy people may rejoice in thee. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, please. Paul said, I'm determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. He seemed to have never gotten away from this. Matter of fact, when you get to the end of Hebrews, and I believe it was Paul, and some may differ, and that's okay. It doesn't matter who. The Holy Spirit was the one that wrote it. He said there in Hebrews chapter 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And the Bible said there in verse number three, consider him, consider him that endured just contradiction against sinners against himself, and then he said, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. So if you put that together, the first part of verse number 3, Hebrews 12, and the last part of verse number 3, for consider him, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. For consider him, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. I'm convinced that one reason that we faint is because we have not considered him and given thought to Jesus the way we should. 
Nothing motivates me more to live for Jesus than when I consider what Jesus has done for me. And tonight, I, I just want to share with you that which is my greatest motivation in life, and that is the cross of our Lord and Savior. So there, when we came to the end of our reading script, scriptures right here, it says, and sitting down, they watched him there. So with the Lord's help, I like to speak to you on the subject, watching Jesus die. Watching Jesus die. I bring to your attention, first of all, if we're going to begin to watch the passion of our Lord and the suffering that he went through, I would invite your attention, if you would please, to the upper room. When he tells his disciples that this is his body, which is broken, and this cup represents his blood, the bread representing his body, the cup representing his blood. He used the remaining elements of the Passover. The lamb to be eaten was already gone. The bitter herbs were gone. And what was left would be the unleavened bread, the matzah, and the cup. No longer would they need in the commemoration of a covenant meal, and that's what this was. It was the ancient rite of the covenant. This was the covenant meal, no longer will they need a lamb because the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, was about to do exactly that. Yes. No need to remember by the lamb. The lamb is here once for all. No need to represent with the bitter herbs because he himself is going to take the bitter cup himself. But what is left would be the bread and the cup. Eat and drink ye all of it. When he gets through with the Passover meal, the Bible says, and afterwards they sung a hymn. A couple of things I want to bring to your attention. This is the Passover meal that is celebrated by the northern district. You see, all of the disciples were from the northern district. There were so many people at the Passover when Jesus died, they had to separate the northern tribes from Judah and Benjamin. So Jesus celebrates with the northern districts because that's where he was reared and all of his disciples were from that area except for one and that was Judas Iscariot. It was important to note that he celebrated the Passover with his disciples on the day before the Passover because the next day he becomes the Passover. And as is the custom for the Passover meal, you have a grouping of psalms that are sung. And the Bible says, and afterward they sung a hymn. So they've come to the end of the Passover celebration, and afterwards they sang a hymn. And according to the sequence of the psalms that were sung, he is now singing with his disciples the 118th psalm. Tonight we heard some beautiful voices sing. Would you not like to have heard the voice of Jesus sing? Was it a deep baritone? Was it a tenor? People in my church love to hear me sing tenor. Tenor 12 miles from here, amen. <laughs> but I would have loved to have heard the voice of Jesus and one day soon we shall hear the voice of Jesus. 
For the Bible says in Zephaniah 3.17 that he joys over us with singing. Have you ever thought about this? That there's sometimes there are things that go on in our life that thrills our Lord so much that he just looks at us and breaks out into a song. Amen. You ever done that? I love my wife and every now and then I just look at her and I just get overwhelmed and start singing to her. It <laughs> doesn't seem to impress her. But, it, <laughs> but I, I'm, glad, I'm glad our Lord sings over us. He's singing the 118th Psalm. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. In that 118th Psalm, he says, bind the sacrifice with cords, even of the horns of the altar. If you draw a line to the horns of the altar, it's in the perfect shape of the cross. He sings, this is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. He wasn't saying every day is the day the Lord makes. In a sense, every day is the day the Lord makes. But he said, this is the day, the day which the Lord hath made. Years ago, I heard James Crumpton say this. He said, I think it was the greatest day that ever was, the day of Calvary when Jesus died. It's not unusual for God to live. He does that every day, but it is unusual for God to die. And that's what he did for us on the cross. Now, we know that God, in essence, did not die because he did stay alive. Thank God for the Holy Trinity. But the second person of the Holy Trinity died. He died for our sins, and he was God. He is God. Amen. Died for our sins. Amen. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. It's estimated at the Passover at this time there was at least Five million people in Jerusalem. That's why the Pharisees said on the week before, just a few days before, the whole world has gone after him. And they were lifting up the brooms. You say, the brooms? I thought they were palms. Right. The palms were left over from the Feast of the Tabernacles. They would save a couple of them. And when they would dry out by Passover, it was a perfect broom. And that's what they would sweep their house with. When they were lifting up the broom and saying, Hosanna, blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. They were saying, save us, Yeshua HaMashiach. Save us, Messiah. Sweep away the Romans and sweep away the Pharisees and, sweep and bring in the kingdom. He indeed did sweep out the temple when he got there. So here we are at this Passover. It's estimated that 275,000 lambs were slain in the season of Passover when Jesus died. As he's heading toward Gethsemane, singing with his disciples, somewhere between Kidron's Brook and Gethsemane, I believe it's where he prayed the 17th chapter of John, that we might be one as he and the Father are one. He crosses Kidron's brook, which is now stained red with the blood that's coming down off of Zion. And he comes into Gethsemane and he prays that prayer. Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. There's an interesting way that it is spoken of in the book of Mark. If I can just turn over a couple pages to the 14th chapter of Mark, it says in verse 32, and they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he saith to his disciples, sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and notice the wording, and began to be sore amazed 
and to be very heavy. This is an unusual passage of scripture. Sore amazed. That's one of those places that it's a little hard for us to get our English minds around. In about 1982, some military experts came up with a phrase that was used in the desert storm for the first time. And the phrase is, shock and awe. A leading Greek scholar said that's as close as what it means when it says, and Jesus was sore amazed. He was in shock and awe. What would have brought our Lord into shock and awe? Unlike a lot of the people who are secular that believe that Jesus was getting fearful of the cross, nothing could be fear, nothing could be more uh, further from the truth. He knew he was the die. You read the Gospels and he's pointing to the cross through this whole time. The cross itself wasn't catching him by surprise. He even says, if you follow me, take up your cross. Strange choice of words. Pick up your execution and follow me to my execution. Follow me beyond the execution. He even prophesied outright he would come to Jerusalem, be betrayed and be killed and raised again on the third day and they didn't even understand that. He was not trying to escape the cross. For this reason came he into the world. Amen. He set his face like a flint and would not turn away. He knew he was coming there. But there was something that transpired that brought him into shock and awe. And not only shock and awe, how serious was this shock and awe? Well, he began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. He began to be. And then it says, And saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Terry, ye hear and watch. This is not hyperbole. This is not metaphor. This is not exaggeration. He is saying, literally, I am about to die. Pray for me. Brother Pope, are you sure that's what was going on? Oh, yes, indeed. If you'll notice, the Bible says in Luke 22 and verse number 43, and there appeared an angel unto him, from heaven and strengthened him. Luke pointed out that he sweat as it were great drops of blood. His own perspiration now stained with blood. Medical science says under great duress and stress a person can sweat blood. Our Lord was doing this. The Bible said there in Hebrews 7, I'm sorry, 5 and verse number 7, who in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears. Strong crying and tears. That's Gethsemane. Unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. So Dr. Luke says the angel strengthened him. He's in shock and awe. He's under great stress and duress. I believe what was happening was his heart was rupturing. His heart was breaking. And who are you with this from? Psalm 22. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. 
And when our Lord had expired, they put the spear into his side and out flowed blood and water. And the heart is in a watery sack. When it ruptures, it goes into the stomach and bowels, both water and blood. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's love? Amazing love. How, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless. Not, not my will, but thine be done. Prayed it three times. Finds his disciples sleeping again. I feel like I'm on holy ground when I'm getting here. And I know that I'm speculating to a degree, but if you hear the prayer of our Lord in Gethsemane, you see that there's dialogue. Maybe it went something like this, my father, the time has come. Yes, my son, and I'm ready. I'm ready. My son, you are ready to die for the sins of mankind. This is why I came, father. I'm ready. That they might be one as we are. This is the goal. Well, my son, you understand that what is going to take place is you must not only die for their sins, but for it to be vicarious, for it to be substitutionary, for it to be effective. You must become sin. You must become Adam and every person after Adam. You must become that. The Bible says in one of the minor prophets, thou art of pure eyes and to behold evil. Jesus realizing the cost when he becomes sin would be forsaken of God. Is there any other way? If it be possible, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. He's sweating blood. He's having a heart that is breaking. Father has to send an angel to strengthen him physically so that he will not die in the garden so he'll live to die on the cross. And by the way, he died not of, but with a broken heart. For Jesus said, no man takes it from me. I lay it down. I have the power to take it up again. Amen. Oh, yes. That's the agony in Garden of Gethsemane. And then he sees them coming after he's prayed it three times. After asking the disciples, could you not watch with me for one hour? And they did not. They come with shackles that take away the hands that made the bands of Orion and Pleiades. And they're coming to bring those hands together. They're coming with torches that take away the light of the world. Jesus asked them, who are they looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Can I show you something interesting that goes really with this conference very well? Look at John 18 for just a moment. Look at, look at John 18 for just a moment here. Oh, this is precious to me. In John 18, verse number four, Jesus therefore knowing all things that should come upon him, and he does know this. That's why he says in the same chapter to Simon Peter when he pulls out the sword, the cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? So he 
was willing now to take the cup. But I love this. It says in verse number five, they answered that verse number four, Jesus therefore knowing all things that should come upon him went forth and saith unto them, whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, and I love the integrity of the King James. When they place a word in there that's not literally from word for word, they identify it by placing it in italics. So notice the words. Jesus said to them, I am he. He is in italics. In essence, he said, I am. Amen. You want to see the effect? Look at this. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon as he said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Wham! <laughs> For a moment he did station identification. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. You're looking for the carpenter. Well, I'm a little bit more than the carpenter. I've built a few things more than that. And I'm building them still. And I'm fixing to go build a really nice place. But I'm a little bit more than that. So you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. I might as well tell you who I am. I am that I am. And for a moment, the Shekinah glory came out and they couldn't handle it. And at least, in my opinion, 600 guys, boom, on the ground. By the way, he could have kept them there. Amen. Right? Amen. This is one reason Simon Peter pulled out a sword. He's feeling really brave. He's about as good a swordsman as he is a fisherman. <laughs> the Bible says he cut off a guy's ear. He, he wasn't aiming for the ear. Okay, back off, I'm going to cut your ear off. No, he was trying to split his head. He's just a crummy swordsman. He missed the head, got the ear. And that guy's squalling like a dying calf in a hellstorm. Jesus grabs the ear and says, hush, puts it back on. And says, put up your sword, Peter. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? The I am is in total control. Oh, yes. And they lead him away. And they lead him away. There was at least 14 illegalities in both the civil and ecclesiastical trials of Jesus. It was unlawful for the Sanhedrin to meet the time they did, but they met anywhere. And the Bible says that they hit him with the open palms of their hands. And also the Bible says they smote him, which means in Greek they curled their fist and one after the other slugs him. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. We know where he got the beating of the whip, but I believe it was in this area that the Sanhedrin were joined pulling out the beard and spitting on him to disgrace him. It's amazing, isn't it? If Jesus wasn't who he said he was, why are they so upset? What's the problem? It's because he is who he said he was. They didn't want to get their own little, little white hands all dirtied up, so they sent him over to Pontius Pilate. Pilate got very bothered. His own wife said, Have thou nothing to do with this just man? I've suffered many things today in a dream because of him. And he sent him over to Herod, and Herod wanted a carnival act. And that's the one place Jesus never said a word to him. He didn't talk to him. You know, friend, we can never expect Jesus to do any miracle for our mere entertainment. There's always a purpose behind every miracle that he performs. So Herod sends him back to Pontius Pilate. 
Pilate doesn't know what to do. He hears them saying that he's supposed to be the king of the Jews. And so Pilate says, are you a king? And Jesus, in essence, says, well, are you asking me this because you really want to know? Or did others put you up to it? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. When Pilate was telling him he had the power to release him, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If I wanted to, I could call my servants and they would take care of you and everybody and I'm out of here. But I'm here for another reason. Pilate said, what is truth? And he leaves before he gets the answer. Sometimes the chronological sequence of events and how they all took place, sometimes it's a little difficult to read. And I will tell you during the sayings of the cross, I, 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 I'm, I'm rearranging one of them on purpose, but I just want you to stay with me because I want to get the message of the cross. And there's so many different ways to get the message of the cross over. There's no doubt on a sermon like today, uh, you'll probably say, oh, I appreciate you saying that, but I wish you had said this, and I, I wish you had said that. That's the beauty of the cross. Paul never got over exhausting the riches of the cross. The nuances and the things that were happening at the very event of Christ's death and what exactly was taking place when he died, after he died, and in the resurrection. That's so hard to know. Paul did say this, after he had been preaching him for years, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. I need to know more about what was going on in the resurrection. I need to know more. I, I need the fellowship. I need, that's what fellowship means, right? I see you. Good to see you. God bless you. He said, I need the fellowship. I need to feel what he was feeling. I need to know what he was knowing, what he was doing. What he, I need to know what he was saying when he said what he said. What was going on? The fellowship of his suffering. I need to know more about this because it's changing me every time I study it. Pilate didn't know what to do. He sent him to a group of men that were not the Roman regulars. They were the mercenaries. Their job was to torture the people before the cross, especially the ones that were the high market criminals the ones that people wanted to see a little more than just die. They want to see the suffering. So what happened with these mercenaries would actually play top that with the infliction of disgrace and pain that they would put upon the victims. I know there's different explanations of it. Some say that Christ was leaned over a stump. I, I think not. I agree with Dr. Uh, Edersheim who says that there were two pieces of leather, a chain that extended down from the praetorium. And then they would tie the victim's wrist together and then they would stretch the body until the toes just barely touched the ground or until they dangled a little bit off the ground. And there was a method in that madness. And when they pulled that long whip, leather thongs, on end of each leather thong would be a sharp piece of metal, boned or, or end or glass. I believe it was sharp bone. That was nearly non-destructive. I mean, you could break bone with bone. And that was a miracle in itself that not a bone of him was broken during all of this. It reminded us again that Jesus was not only God, but he was man. And what a man's man he was. Amen. The strong sinews of the hard labor of stone cutting and, and carpentry with the wood, felling trees and so on. 
Matter of fact, it was not unusual at all for a man to be ripped right in half of the Roman whipping post. It was that violent. So when the whip was applied, they would pull it back and throw it with all their might and the centrifugal force of the leather thongs coming around the body and then with the gravity pull of the sharp stone, they would sink, that is, the sharp stone into the flesh as easily as a pebble would fall into the pond. And with the sharp bone buried in the flesh, when they yanked it back, they would cause a ripping sensation. And that's why many a man was ripped right in half with even the spinal column being severed by the whipping. And the man's body would be torn right in half. What a sight. As pieces of our Lord's flesh and blood were pouring down his side and leather-like pieces of his own flesh hang down past his knees. With his ribcage exposed, the passionate passion plays, the movies that have been made really don't portray it as gross as it really was. For the Bible said in Psalm 22 in the prophecy, I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. What a sight. He came from the glory of heaven to the gory earth. From the hallelujahs of heaven to the hisses of earth. From the joys of heaven to the jeers of earth. He was heaven's bread for his hunger. Heaven's joy for his sorrow. And this is the way they treat him. I may tell all my bones they look and stare upon me. I gave my back to the smiters. And then they let him down and they put a purple scarlet robe about him and it soaks it up like a sponge. They take a crown of thorns, not like we would be used to here, but more like West Texas or Arizona thorns, some six to nine inches in length, sharp as a needle on the end, tough as a ten penny nail, and they entwined it in such a way that from a distance it did look like a crown. Well, they didn't shove it on his head. They didn't want to hurt their own hands. They lightly placed the crown of thorns upon his head and then they put a reed in his hand, not like a little bamboo pole, but more like a small baseball bat. And then they bow the knee, mocking him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And then somebody steps up and they take that firm reed out of his hand and they smite him on the head. And you know what they were doing? They were actually driving the crown of thorns into the skull into the, into the scalp so deep that it scraped the skull until great bubbles of blood fell down over the scab regions of his face. No wonder the Bible prophesied Isaiah 52, 14. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was most so marred more than any man. Oh, I see, I Schofield had it right when he said he didn't even look human. He should grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground, Isaiah 53 says. He hath no form nor comeliness. When we should see him, we should desire him. It was almost nauseating to see him in, the, in this situation. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Dr. David Dick Wilson, after spending his whole life at Princeton University teaching the Bible as best he could, and then later on at Westminster, they asked him, after studying the Bible, 82 years of age, about to retire, after studying the Bible all of these years, Dr. Wilson, what is the one greatest thing you've learned? 
in studying the Bible, he takes his glasses off and the students that were there in that last class said the tears fell into his wrinkled cheeks like water in the canal, dripping off his cheeks. He said, gentlemen, the greatest thing that I've ever, I've ever seen as I've studied the Bible is this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Greater love hath no man than this, than that a man laid down his life for his friends. Whom will you that I release unto you? Jesus of Barabbas. Crucify him! Crucify him and give us Barabbas. And Pilate tried to wash his hands. That's not going to clean it, is it? And up the Via Della Rosa. Daughters of Jerusalem are crying. He says, cry not for me, but for yourselves. They compel one Simon of Cyrene to pick up the cross. You know, Christ fell beneath the cross, but it never says that he let go of it. Spurgeon said this is a great point. Simon was on the other end of the cross, and Jesus never let go of his end. So when he tells you to take up your cross and follow him, he's always on the other end. Up, 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 the Via Della Rosa. Up, 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 to Calvary. Some of the people in the tour guides will say, well, he probably died down here at the bottom of the hill. I don't believe that for a moment. They wanted to make a spectacle of him. I believe they put him right up on the top of Gordon's Calvary, right up on the top so they could see him. And there was also purpose in God's providential design in that, and we'll talk about that maybe in just a moment. But if we really see the cross, we need to see the prayer before the cross, Gethsemane, and the pain that he endures on the cross. So, he's at the top of the hill. They lay the cross down. Some argue, say, well, the vertical beam was there and they nailed him to the horizontal and raised him up to it. I don't believe that because I believe all of his bones fell out of joint. And for that to happen, I believe it was nailed to the cross in its entirety. And so I can just see our Lord as he lays down upon the cross before the Romans can situate him, he lays himself down and I can imagine one saying, well, this is different. And then he stretches his hand out without any coercion. And they strategically locate that heavy nail, more like a railroad spike, in that certain place. Some say the nail wasn't driven through the center of the palm. It would have ripped through the phalanges. So whether it was in the center of the palm and secured by ropes, but more believed that have studied out it was in the wrist area for the forearm is still considered part of the hand and it's driven, the nail's driven right between the bones here so that not one bone of him is broken, but he's secured right there as they nail him there. I, I'm not going to be picking when I get there. I'll just kiss the nail print and forget about where it is. And they drive that nail. Can you hear the sound? of that huge hammer, more like a sledgehammer, as it hits the top of that nail. This is the time before the steel is tempered, and so it's more of an iron against iron. Ah, uh, iron against iron. Greater love of no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Iron sharpeneth iron. You can hear it ringing in the hillside. Bit of a quietness as the crowd is murmuring. The capillaries begin to burst. The veins begin to burst. And for a moment of time, it sprays up in a geyser kind of, and he wipes the blood out of his eyes. The 
guard that is and then they stretch the other hand out and they nail that hand to the cross and then they stretch one foot up on top of the other and they begin to drive the nail into the top foot into the second foot and the final strike against the nail causes a great bruising even as the Bible says he was bruised for our iniquities and they lift that cross high into the air I'm reminded of what Jesus said and I if I be lifted up from the earth will draw all men into me I can hear the sickening thud as it falls into the ground and the bones begin to pop out of joint. And our Lord shoves himself up on the wounded balls of his feet and the grinding of the nails in his hands so that there's no coagulation while Christ is alive. That blood keeps flowing every time he speaks. Blood is spurting out of his hands and his feet. And he opens up by saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is a great reminder to each and every one of us that our life should be an echo of Calvary. The first martyr, Stephen, was an echo of Calvary when he prayed that that sin not be laid to their charge. An echo of Calvary. The unconditional love of the Lord Jesus. There's not one diminishing of his love with all of the mistreatment that he's experiencing. It's not once at all in any ways diminished. He is loving us at this moment on the cross as much as he did 10 million years before the cross or even 10 million years beyond the cross. God can't improve on his love. It's constant. He's immutable. He's omniscient and omnipotent, all that together. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Hold back. Hold back. He had to say that. For there were at least 72,000 angels that were ready. That's what he said in the garden, remember? Put the sword up, Peter. I have 12 legion of angels. Minimum, that's 72, up to 144,000 angels with flaming swords being pulled out of scarlet sheaths waiting for the signal to rescue him. But he did not do that. Do you realize how devastating that would have been? In the Old Testament, one angel, uno, senor, one, took out 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. Can you imagine what 72,000 really bent out of shape angels could do? <laughs> Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Just stand back. Stand back. This is the only way we can save mankind. Stand, resheathe your sword. Step back. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Thieves are railing against them. One finally wised up and said, Remember me when thou enterest of thy kingdom. And Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say to thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. No soul sleep there. Isn't that beautiful? That's why we can assure anybody who asks Jesus Christ in repentance to forgive them and save them that they will be absent from the body when they die, but present with the Lord. Amen. He looks down. He sees John. He sees Mary. Behold thy mother. Behold thy son. Takes care of Mary right there. Huh. There's something so mysterious here that is going to be happening. And I'm rearranging things a little bit, I know, but I just want you to stay with me for a moment. There were six hours on that cross and three and a half hours of those hours are in darkness. 
There's one phrase that's really intriguing me. The Bible says he said this to fulfill all prophecy. And here's what he says, I thirst. Now it already turned away the anesthesia for drink. He wouldn't drink that. But now he says, I thirst. Do you remember back in Bible college, boys, when you're learning how to understand the Bible? The law of first mention, the law of next mention, the law of last mention. Who's being addressed? Who's doing the addressing? The last time Jesus said anything about drinking was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. On the cross, he says, I thirst to fulfill the scripture, to fulfill all righteousness, as he said, as it was said at the baptism. What is happening here? I thirst. Huh. Let this cup pass for me. What was the cup? What brought Jesus into shock and awe? Are you listening? More painful than the nails, more painful than the whip, more painful than the crown, more painful than the plucking, more painful is this thought, separation from the Father. For he shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. I thirst. I can see angels wanting to pull the sword out. Father says, turn around. What? Turn around. And I can imagine the angels' wings are now folded. And if ever angels had tears, I believe it could have been at this moment as they bow their head and they're commanded to turn around. And in that place of coming into darkness, remember God is turning out the lights of the universe because the Holy of Holies now is taking place. Remember what he said at the cross also? In the darkness? Eli! Eli! That is to say, my God! My God! Why hast thou forsaken me? What was happening? Thou art of pure eyes than behold evil. Turn around, angels. They're turning around. The Bible tells us that we dare not grieve the Holy Spirit, that we dare not quench the Holy Spirit. Like the dove, he is so offended by sin, it doesn't take much for him to vacate his power. He who came upon the sun at the baptism in the form of a heavenly dove, I believe, in essence, has to say, Lord, I must go now. And as the Holy Spirit takes his flight, I believe that Jesus cries out, My God! And then after God has commanded the Father, the angels to turn about, the Father himself turns about. And I know this is a bit of anthropomorphism, but he uses, allows us to use the anthropomorphic method to try to get a grasp of it. So the Father is now turning his back and Christ says the second time, My God, why hast thou forsaken me? A rhetorical question. He knew exactly why he was being forsaken, but he wanted us to know what happens. What happened to secure our salvation? I quoted today, let me slow down, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he, that's the Father, hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I thirst. 
Give me the cup and the cup of our sin is deposited in total upon the person of Jesus and in that three and a half hours of darkness. He becomes me. He becomes you the greatest pain of the cross. My sin, your sin, damnation that I deserve, hell that I deserve placed on Jesus for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Comes toward the end of that darkness. It's rather interesting. He cries out, It is finished! It was actually one word in the Koine Greek, my old Greek professor said that there's really no way that we can understand the Koine Greek. It was a musical Greek language, so we can only make a stab at what it might have sounded like. But this is the word. That's the word we translated it as finished. You know, sometimes it's hard because sometimes the words from one language to another don't get quite a clear understanding, does it? Like, for instance, in German, there's a word, sanzuk. We don't have an equivalent in English. It's a homesickness or a longing for a place we've never been, but we know it's there. It's kind of like what we have for heaven, sanzuk. By the way, 1535, Miles Coverdale, before the King James, was coming to this three-lettered Hebrew word that appeared 248 times in the Old Testament, and he was just exasperated, not being able to get his hand around it. The same word was translated kindness, goodness, love, mercy. So in exasperation, Miles Coverdale did something in 1535 that a lot of people don't realize. He invented a word. It had never been used in the English language until then. Here's the word that he invented, 1535, loving kindness. By the way, that's what Jesus was alluding to in Matthew 9 and Matthew 12 when he said, learn this of me, I, right? I will have mercy and not sacrifice. That was taken from Hosea 6. And the word there in Hosea 6 is the word said. Jesus said, learn this of me, learn this of me, what my chesed is, my kindness, my grace, my mercy. Wow. For by grace are you saved through faith and not, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works of sin as you man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Titus 3, 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration renewed the Holy Ghost. The loving kindness is on exhibition now. As he says, What in the world was that? What was he saying? Well, that's the same word used whenever a little Passover lamb was presented to the priest. He examines it. If it has no spot or blemish, he says, ah, titelestai, meat for the sacrifice, flawless. It's the word used by a painter or a sculptor when he's happy with his product. Like a Michelangelo finishes a David, titelestai, masterpiece. Nothing can be added to it. It was the same word used when a man was in debtor's prison and there were a handwriting of ordinances that were against him on his jail door. If a benefactor, usually a loved one, paid his penalty, they would stamp the document to Telestai over the ordinances that he had broken and the jail door would go open. That's to Telestai. 
It was the same word used by the Cyclops. The Cyclops were like the Delta Force, Green Beret, Marine Recon, Navy SEALs. Their job was so dangerous, a runner would be near them during the whole battle. If they overwhelmed the enemy and the enemy could not rise up again, the runner in a marathon-type runny would run back to the edge of Athens where moms and dads and wives and children and grandparents and uncles and aunts were waiting on pins and needles and he would come back. If it was an overwhelming victory, he would throw his hands in the air and cry out, Tetelestai! And they would jump for joy. By the way, 118 Psalm, this is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. When Jesus said to Telestai, he wasn't dying a martyr's death. He was dying like a king that marched through the barrels of victory. He was saying, I am the Passover lamb. No flaw, no blemish, no sin. He was perfect. He's done a masterpiece here. He's paid the penalty. He's winning the victory over the devil and the devil will never get over it. Telestai. And with a loud voice, finally he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. By the way, when he said to Telestai, and if you see Gordon's Calvary and you see the proximity to the temple, you know this to be true. When they were officiating in the Passover, on the Passover, the voice of Jesus echoed through the halls, reverberating even to the curtain, six to nine inches in thickness. For when our Lord died, it was torn not from the top, not from the bottom to the top, but from the top to the bottom. God himself tore the veil and there's the Holy of Holies in full view and nobody's dying because Christ is paying the price. Tetelestai! Father, and of thy hands I commend my spirit. And the Bible says this, that he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. He didn't drop it Hollywood style. He bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. There's a little controversy in this, but I'll take the risk. I love being the age I am now, 71 and a half. I, people are nicer to old men. But here's what I believe happened, literally. Because some people say, oh, don't you believe that he went down to hell? No, he preached to them in hell. He went down to paradise and he preached to Gehenna, okay? And he's telling Abraham, Isaac, and David, get ready, we're going to change, we're going to change location here in a little bit. He led captivity captive, remember? But what did he do at the moment of death? What did he do at the moment of death? He didn't have to pay anymore for our sins. Now he has paid for it in full. And that's in essence, that's what it is finished means. Nothing else needs to be done. The transaction has been made. But now the blood needs to be applied. So he said, Father, and by hands I commend my spirit. And in Hebrews 9 and verse number 14, you know, I, I quote this a lot, but sometimes I, I want to make sure I get it right. Hebrews 9, 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God? When did that take? Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. 
Look at the sequence of the Messianic Psalm. Look at the, look at the way it's positioned. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? They pierced my hands and my feet, Psalm 22. That never happened to David, that was Jesus. Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, darkness of the cross. Psalm 24, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. What happened? Look at the ending of Psalm 24. I believe that Christ through the eternal spirit immediately went up to the portals of glory through the eternal spirit as the Passover lamb, but as the priest who has offered himself once for all. And he gets up to the gates of glory before the angels can turn back around and says, Psalm 24, open up your gates and be you lifted up your everlasting doors and the king of glory shall come through. Hey, Gabe, yeah, Mike, who's the king of glory? Jesus says, the Lord's strong and mighty and battle is he. Open up your gates and be you lifted up your everlasting doors and the king, Gabe, yeah, Mike, that's him, open up. And just as the symbolized cherubim in the tabernacle and temple, Temple are symbolizing it. Now literally, the angels, the cherubim begin to lift up their wings and they begin to tippy touch and Jesus walks in beneath the tippy touched wings of the angels and he comes up to the throne of God in heaven. He comes up to the literal mercy seat in heaven as the Father's turning back around and Jesus places his own blood on the literal mercy seat in heaven saying, Father, this is my blood for their sins. Tis done. The great transaction's done. It is finished. It is finished. And I think he says, I'll be back. And he goes down to paradise and he makes the sermon and, he, and he's encouraging those that are in paradise. He's about to lead captivity captive. Oh, yes. Use your imagination with me a little bit more. So Jesus is placed in the tomb. Imagine a demon called death guarding the grave of Jesus. And oh, slew-foot Satan comes by and says, Death, do you have him? Oh, don't you worry about a thing, devil. Just like I got that crazy Baptist preacher, I've got him. The devil says, Where's your friend? Uh, what friend? Corruption. Well, you know, we work together. Well, where is he? Well, he hadn't showed up yet, but, I'm, but, but don't worry. He, he, he'll, he'll show up. He better. Second day, the devil comes by. Death is guarding the grave. Death! Yes, your satanic majesty. Where's corruption? Corruption? Well, I'm sure he'll show up any time now. You know, we work together. Well, you know, the Bible said that thou shalt not suffer thy holy one to see corruption. You don't really think he's really not going to get corrupted, do you? Do you? No, 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 your majesty. I, I'm sure he'll show up anytime. Now the devil, the, the, the devil walks away. Corruption! Corruption, where are you? Hurry up and show up. Where? Da, 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 hurry up. Morning of the third day before the devil get very close. Oh, threat, death throws his hands to his face. Look out! Look out! I can't hold him. I can't hold him any longer. And up from the grave he arose. Mighty triumph for his foe. The devil just so mad. He comes running up to the tomb. 
throws one towel on one side of the tomb and another towel on another side of the tomb as Jesus is very calmly folding the napkin that was on his face. He's going to come back. And the devil says, where are you going? Jesus says, out of here. I won't let you. And the, devil say, and the Lord Jesus says, I'm not asking permission. And the devil says, no. And Jesus says, yes. And he lifts up his foot. And just as he lifts up his foot, the devil looks through that hole in his foot and he remembers Genesis 3. He shall bruise his hill, but he shall bruise thy... And the devil says, get your foot off my face. <laughs> Jesus says, I will, but you've got something that belongs to me. Amen. And he reaches down and grabs the keys of death, hell, and the grave. One more of those, and he runs away with them. And he's alive forevermore. Amen. And that's our Savior, never to die again. No wonder Jesus says to his followers, he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. I've done that for you shall never perish but have everlasting life. Amen. There's nothing that motivates me much more than this. Nothing ever motivates me even as close to this than when I consider what he's done for me, what he's done for you. How can we do less than give him all to think that he who is the I am that I am saves us and then he comes to live with us and conquers our past, our present, and future. It's all good.